want to welcome you and those of you joining us online. We're so glad that you are on this special day, Mother's Day. want to start with just a, a wishing all of you moms a blessed uh, Mother's Day. Today, uh, you know, if you really think about it, we couldn't have done it without you, <laughs> literally. Well, I know that's deeply profound, but it's true. Um, Actually, though, on Mother's Day, I am also keenly aware of the many moms who would have been moms or uh, used to have moms, or uh, it, it can be a hard day. And I just want to say to you that the Lord knows, uh, God bless you, God encourage you on this day that we celebrate as Mother's Day. Well, we're currently going through First John. Today's text will be verses 3 through 11 in chapter 2. Um, I'll go ahead and ask you to stand if you're able. If not, where you're seated is fine. But if you don't mind, uh, you can stand to follow along with the reading of God's Word. I'll begin in verse 3, where the Apostle John now is continuing as he writes. And he says, we know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The man who says, verse 4, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But, verse 5, if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. That's not a contradiction, by the way, as we'll see. Its truth is seen in Him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who, verse 9, claims to be in the light, but hates his brother, is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. But, here it is again, verse 11, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded him. Let's pray if you would please join with me. <sighs> Loving Heavenly Father, we're so very grateful to you, and cannot thank you enough for your word in this portion that we have here before us, here in your word today. Lord, clearly there's so many things that you want to show us, speak to us. And um, that's why we're here, Lord, is we want to hear what it is that you want to speak to us. We want to see what it is that you want to show to us. And we want to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And we want to receive what it is that you have for us today, especially in this passage that you inspired John to write. This is for us, 
for today. And it's a word fitly spoken. So Lord, speak. Your servants are listening, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So as many of you know, I've been thinking about and praying about doing a topical teaching on kindness. And I was seeking the Lord, waiting on the Lord for when I was to do it. And I'm so glad that I waited, because it's not going to be a topical teaching. It's right here, woven into the fabric of this text. And God, as only He can, has really provided me with my sermon material, if you can imagine that, when it comes to a sermon on kindness, which I have to confess does not come easy for me. Uh, that's not because I'm unkind. Let me try that again. <laughs> it's because I, like you, by the way, need to be more kind, kinder, if you prefer. So. I chose this title for a reason. It's couched in an open-ended question. And the question is, and I want you to think through this as we consider this together, what would my loving kindness change? What would being kinder change in my life? What would be if, if I were more loving, what kind of an impact would that have in my life? And please know that this is a question for which I ask of myself. And also it's one for which I, like you, would do well to think through and consider. And that's what I would like for us to do today. Uh, let me take it a step further and say that considering, meditating, thinking. This is, I hope, I pray, not just another sermon. We don't need another sermon. And I don't need to preach another sermon. I, I hope you receive that in the way that it was intended to be received. The last thing we need is another sermon, a three-point sermon. We take notes, we check the box, we go home, we go to bed at night, we go back to work in the morning, and then we go about our day, and then that's it. Like we need that. That's the last thing we need. What we need is to really consider and meditate on the Word of God, specifically when it comes to this matter of kindness. And what I want for us to do as we go through this is just consider, with the help of the Holy Spirit, the dramatic changes that would take place in every arena of my life, every relationship in my life, were I more loving and kinder. What follows are just four specific areas 
in all of our lives that our loving kindness would change in ways that we could have never imagined. They are in order first in verses 3 and 4. First and foremost, my relationship with Jesus. Second in verses 5 and 6, my relationship with sin. Third in verses 7 and 8, my relationship with people in general. And fourth in verses 9 through 11, my relationship with believers. That's in order. And we're going to look at those starting with the first one in verses 3 and 4. And this is where it all starts. Um, this word know that John uses here in the original language of the Greek New Testament, this is how you'll know that you know Jesus, is the Greek word ginosko. And ginosko carries with it the idea of an experiential knowledge, an intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now there's another Greek word that is translated no in the Bible, and it's more of an intuitive knowledge. That's different. He doesn't use that word. He uses the word ginosko. It's an experiential knowledge. Just to put it into perspective, it's the same word that Mary uses when the angel comes to her and says, you're with child and you're going to give birth to the Savior of the world. To which she responds, that's impossible because I've never known a man. I've never had that experiential, intimate knowledge of a man. Does that put it into perspective? That's, that's what John is saying here. It, it's almost like he's posing a test question of sorts. You know those, I hope you, I, I stopped doing these a long time ago when I realized that you were basically given all your data out. Uh, these tests, you know, how to know if you're this. And you got to take this test and answer all these questions. And then they, they let you know, uh, so you know if you're uh, whatever. I'm going to, I left that way too uh, generic. <laughs> I'll let you fill in the blank. But you know, how do you, okay, I better bring something into the, uh, so how do you know if you're a type A person? Okay. Are we good there? Yeah. So you have to answer all these questions. Um, you have to be in control. Um, number two, you, you really have to be in control. Yeah. <laughs> You're type A. That's how you know. You checked all the boxes. Well, that's kind of what John is doing here. He's, okay, these are, this is how you'll know if you know Jesus an experiential knowledge of Jesus. Well, how do I, how do I know? Uh, you'll obey the commands of Jesus. How do you know if you have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? You'll obey the commands of Jesus Christ. Can I invite you to join me in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, a passage I'm sure you're familiar with. I'll begin reading in verse 34. It sums it all up. And this is really the foundation upon which the entire teaching today is built. 
So we're told by Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, better understood as they conspired together. Then one of them, a lawyer, that came out terribly wrong. I'm so sorry. If you're a lawyer, we love you. God bless you. A lawyer asked him a question, testing him. This is one of those gotcha questions. And he said, teacher, which is the great command, the great commandment in the law? Oh, we got him now. Not so fast. <laughs> Jesus, verse 37, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this, verse 40, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Watch this. Hang is the key word here. The first one, vertical, our relationship with God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, body. That's vertical. Now once that's in place, first and foremost, now what hangs on it is the horizontal in the shape of a cross. That's my relationship with my neighbor. And love, loving God takes care of the first five. Loving my neighbor as I love myself takes care of the second five. This cannot hang unless you have this. The law and the prophets hang on these commandments in that way. A foreshadow, a picture of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now stay with me, because this is so important, of paramount importance, and it's going to be germane to our understanding of what I believe the Lord has for us today. Okay, how do you know I'm obeying His commandments? What are His commandments? Love. It's for this reason that I'm putting together two words which have to go together, because you can't have one without the other. Loving kindness. If you're kind, there, there has to be love. And if you're loving, there has to be kindness. You cannot separate the two. Loving kindness. And that is a game changer, if I can say it that way. When I love God that way, changes everything. The first thing that's going to change in yours and my life is our relationship with the Lord. Because see, now my relationship with the Lord is based on my love for the Lord. And this is what, by the way, the fear of the Lord is. I think this is in large measure misunderstood. I mean, certainly it does have the idea of a reverent awe, as well it should. He's a holy God, and we are in awe of Him. Hallowed be thy name. 
That is the fear of the Lord. The Proverbs say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And to fear the Lord is to hate evil. Now that starts making more sense now. And here's why. See, when I fear the Lord, I fear that I'll do anything that would grieve the heart of the Lord. Any evil, anything. Why? Because I love Him so. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to disobey Him because I know that would grieve His heart. Because I know that He delights in obedience, and obedience is better than sacrifice. And when I'm obedient to the Lord, I'm blessing the Lord. And it's a demonstration of my love for the Lord. And that's the connection. Um, It is probably appropriate at this juncture, I guess this is as good of a time as any to mention this, but my love for the Lord will change everything else in my relationships with other people. Because see, when I'm lined up that way vertically, then it's going to change everything horizontally. There's no way that I can love my neighbor. Are you kidding me, my neighbor? Oh, they came to mind. Somebody came to mind right now. I don't necessarily mean literally your neighbor. Jesus was asked, well, who is my neighbor? <laughs> you Answer? Well, you look it up. Yeah. When I say neighbor, it's, it's pretty broad. So <laughs> there's no way I'm going to be able to love my neighbor unless and until I first love my God. And there's no way that I'm going to ever be kind to my neighbor unless and until I have been the recipient of the kindness from God. When I am reminded, and some of us need to be reminded, and I'm the chief of sinners when it comes to this, I have to be honest, (laughs) because I don't want a lightning bolt coming and zapping me right here in the pulpit. Um, I have to be reminded of how much kindness God has shown me. And when I am reminded of how much kindness God has shown me, then it is the fuel in the tank of the kindness that I show others. That's the source. The love that God has shown me, that's the source for the love that I'm going to show others. Well, this brings us to the second one in verses 5 and 6. And this is uh, important because it deals with my relationship with sin. Now, what John says here is that our obedience to the Lord makes complete our love from the Lord. Did you catch that? And again, this is the the test question, the litmus test, if you will, as to how we know we're in the Lord. So my obedience to the Lord makes complete my love from the Lord which is how they'll know that I'm in the Lord. And he takes it further. To be in Jesus is to live as Jesus lived. 
And when this happens in our lives, it dramatically changes our lives, specific to our relationship with sin. And let me explain. I will no longer love my sin as I once did, because I love Him. I will no longer enjoy my sin, because now I am full of joy in Him. I will no longer plan for my sin, make provision for the flesh, because of my love for Jesus and His love for me. Listen to John 14, 15. <laughs> this is another one of those verses that we kind of get twisted up a little bit. Jesus is speaking. My mom used to quote this to me. This is in dedication to my mom, who's with the Lord now on this Mother's Day. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Oh. So here's what my mom would do. I'm a little kid, not a good kid. She would always say to me in her thick accent, she would hit a certain tone. She had these vocal cords. She would hit a, this octave, high octave, soprano, not tenor, soprano. And she would say this, Wahigo! That was it, man. And when she would hit that, that, that octave, that key, that note, I don't think it's on the musical scale. It's on her musical scale. I mean, you know, you know how there's a certain physiological reaction that takes place in your body? Well, that would happen to me. And I mean, I froze. Uh-oh. I knew what was coming. And it usually sounded like this. And she was basically quoting John 14, 15, before I knew what John 14, 15 was, by the way. Uh, she, let, let's say it like this, she introduced me to John 14, 15. And she, she would say it like this, though. You don't love me. Mommy, I love you. No, you don't love me. If you loved me, you would obey me. You don't love me. I love my mom. I love you, mom. No, you don't. Because you don't obey me. You don't love me. You don't love me. It, it, it was even worse than that. But and, and you know, it was kind of one of those things where, have you ever heard this expression, guilt is the gift that keeps on giving? Oh, it was come. Huh. And then you start questioning yourself like, I don't love my mom because I'm so disobedient. I, I'm, a, I'm a rascal. I'm a wretch. I'm so disobedient. I'm so defiant. Maybe I don't love my mom. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying, <laughs> you don't love me. If you love me, you don't obey my commandment. You don't love me. That's not what he's saying. Okay, thank you so much. That's very helpful, Pastor. That's like a sign in town that says, this is not the way to Kaneohe. Of what help is this to me? So pray tell, what is he saying? Oh, he's saying that this will be the litmus test. Uh, you'll know that that guy loves Jesus 
because he obeys Jesus. That's what he's saying. Don't flip it around the other way, because it, it, it mars it. It almost, dare I say, profanes it. Here's a question. What's the one thing that we can give to God that He doesn't already have? I know you know the answer. Don't shout it out. Test. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> the one thing that we can give God, you know how it is when you're trying to buy a gift and you say, what, what are you going to get? The guy that's got everything. I mean, God, what, are you, what can I give God that He doesn't have? Obedience your obedience. The one thing that God does not necessarily have is your obedience. That's why obedience is better than sacrifice. That's why obedience rises to the level of demonstrating our love for God vis-a-vis our obedience to God. That's how it's manifest. And this is huge. Now, we still have a sin problem, right? I did not say a skin problem. Never mind. That's maybe not the right time for that. It's a whole thing, man. It's not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. And by the way, talking about racism, (laughs) come on. We're all part of the human race. How about that? And if I'm not mistaken, last time I checked, by the way, this is uh, parenthetical. (laughs) We'll get back to our sermon already in progress in just a moment. Uh, If I read my Bible correctly, and I'm pretty sure I do, uh, it's going to be all people of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Okay, well, I kind of feel a little bit better. I don't know. It was a good save, wasn't it? Or at least a good attempt. Okay. So we still have a sin problem, right? This in no way means we will be sinless. Rather, we will sin less. Why? Because I don't want to sin against God. My relationship with sin has been completely changed and transformed because of my love for God and my fear of God. I like how one said it, sin is not ejected, it's dejected. We have now a newfound disdain for sin, something we never had prior. Why? because we know what our sin does to the one we love. It grieves his heart. It grieves the heart of God. Think about it in the context of the family relationships, which we're going to talk about more in a moment. If you love someone, you will ensure and go to great efforts to make sure that you don't do anything that's going to hurt them. You love them. I love my wife. I I don't want to do anything that's going to hurt her. My, my children, I don't want to do anything that's going to hurt them. I love them. That's the same principle in the finite. Now transpose that into the infinite. How much more so with God? So 
what's changed now in my relationship with sin by way of loving kindness? Listen, what's changed is that in Him, I go from having a love for my sin to instead now having a hatred for my sin, because God hates sin. Let me say the same thing in a different way. When you love someone, you, this is what was said of David. And this is another thing I think that we don't quite understand when it's said of David that he had a heart after God's own heart. He had a heart for God, surely, but it's even deeper than that. He had a heart that was hot after the heart of God. Does this bless the heart of God? I'm on it. Does this grieve the heart of God? I hate it. That's what it means to have a heart after God's own heart. And isn't it true, by the way, <laughs> that this is the whole purpose, is to make us more like Jesus, more Christ-like? The Holy Spirit, love, joy, meekness, kindness, gentleness, goodness, patience, self-control. <laughs> now, the question is how? And the answer in a word is loving kindness. So much so that instead of God's loving kindness leading me into more sin, it instead leads me to the repentance of sin. Please hear me out on this, because the enemy does not want you to hear this. So there's this, you'll forgive me for the strength with which I say this, but there is a doctrine of demons that basically teaches this. Oh, go ahead and sin. Where did sin abound? There did much more grace abound. Hey, if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Go ahead, go ahead. You can just ask for forgiveness later. In other words, when someone like me stands up here and teaches someone like you that you're forgiven. There are going to be those who have embraced this doctrine of demons that will say, hey, you're going to give people license to sin more. No, no, no. The opposite is true. What do you mean? No. When you've tasted of the Lord and you've seen how good He is. How many times when the proverbial other shoe should have dropped, but it didn't. Oh man, I'm going to get it. But you didn't. Instead, there was just grace and love and kindness. Uh, Romans 2, 4. Are you familiar with this verse? You should be. The Apostle Paul writing the church in Rome basically says that it is 
Listen, the kindness of God that leads a man to repentance. It's not the justice of God, the wrath of God. I'll get him to repent if it's the last thing I know. Where's the love? That kindness? How does that work? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. We've sinned. We've grieved the heart of God. We've disobeyed the Lord, our God. And God in His grace and because of His love and because He is kind, shows us kindness instead. Does that not ruin you for Him? Does that not change you? Does that not change everything? I mean, how do you sin against that? So I've been the recipient of God's love and kindness and grace and mercy. And I'm, I'm going to go out and go, okay, game on. If that's the response, I'm just going to keep, no, it doesn't work that way. It has the opposite effect. You shriek in horror at the thought, even the mention, any hint of any sin that would grieve the heart of God that's been so kind to you. You will not reciprocate in kind to that kind of kind, that kind. That's, uh, that didn't work. So that's my cue to move on to the third one in verses 7 and 8. Now this is huge. My relationship with other people. So what John writes here is very interesting for a number of reasons, not the least of which is his repeated reference to darkness and light. And I don't know if he caught it at first read, but it's a firm grasp of the obvious. They're in darkness, and because they're in darkness, they can't see their way around. That's pretty much what happens in darkness. So what's the point? Here's the point. Walking in the light, not in darkness, vis-a-vis -vis the aforementioned new command that we just read in Matthew's Gospel, is that which brings me out of the darkness into the light to love as Jesus loved and live as Jesus lived. Now all of a sudden, I, light has been shed and I see that person in a whole new light. I'm looking at that person and here I have been shown love and kindness and grace and mercy. And I'm looking at this person and I'm thinking, hmm, God's given me a, a supernatural love for them, a loving kindness for them. I wonder what would change in my interaction with people if I was more loving and kinder. Um, well, might as well. <laughs> Customer service, you know, tech support, customer support. You call the number. If you're able to survive the automated, you know, press one. If it's windward Malka showers, okay, one, 
Uh, press two if you're, you know, okay, that's two. 30 minutes later, uh, if you'd like to speak to someone, press zero. What? So then you finally, then, then you get the music. Is it just me or is that music just horrible? It's just horrifying. What, where do they get that music? I, 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 I turned the, <laughs> is this too much? Just, I turned the volume down. I just start think, singing my favorite, you know, songs in my mind, you know, God, you're so good to me. Let him pick up the phone. God, you're so, oh, happy day when I finally get through, but, you know, and I just, I just try to, you know, and then you got to know that the person who's finally going to pick, and by the way, I wonder, I, I'm sorry, I'm kind of discombobulated here, but I'll try to bring it together. I, I wonder this sometimes. This is just how people like me think. I know they have clinical terms for this condition, but I, I just wonder. They, they're, they're looking at the queue going, oh, the guy made it through all of the automated, okay. So he pushed zero and talked to me, okay. And they watch. See, I wonder how long he'll hang on before he hangs up. Have you ever thought like that? I didn't think so. Anyway, I don't think they do it deliberately. I sure hope not. But anyway, now keep in mind, they're probably already talking to a very irritated person, VIP, very irritated person. <laughs> that was pretty good, wasn't it? Okay. Let me have that one who has just probably read them the riot act, as we say. And you have no idea what they just had to deal with that morning in their home. How mean and unkind their husband was to them. How defiant and rebellious their children were to them. And now they're on the phone all day, every day, talking to people that are mad at them. Because they, they just had to go through and navigate that automated tele. That doesn't help. And then they finally get through. Here's the, the sheepish voice, sheepish voice on the other end of that, that line. Hi, customer service, can I help you? Translated, please be nice to me. You ever thought about it like that? So I, I, I hope this doesn't come off wrong. I was the kind of guy that the customer service representative prayed they would never have to talk to when they go to work. I was, I confess it, I've repented. Don't look at me like, you know, that. Uh, but I was just, you know, because I'm a type A person, that's why. And I mean, I, I would, I'm, I can get very articulate because it's adrenaline. It helps a lot. You come up with words in your vocabulary that you haven't used in a long time. And uh, it never accomplished anything. Oh, it did accomplish something. God forbid they find out. In fact, this happened one time, true story. I'm on, on hold, finally get through. I prayed, Lord, let me just represent you, Jesus, to this customer service representative that's probably had a really, really rough day. So they, they answer the call. Can I help you? Yeah, I just, um, 
first of all, how's your day going for you so far? I don't know how, how you guys do it, man. Talking to people all the time. And so I, I start this conversation. I haven't even got to the reason for my call. And, uh, and then she says, okay, well, let me get your information. She gets my name. She goes, wait, are you that pastor online? My friend's been wanting me to listen to you. Oh, oh, I could have really blown it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, as a matter of fact, I am. This is something that I have to deal with when someone, you know, asks me, are you that pastor? My response is, it depends. <laughs> if it's good, yes. If it's not, that's my evil twin. I hate that guy. Anyway, I digress. I'm going somewhere with this, believe it or not. I know it's shocking. Uh, so now all of a sudden that person on the other end of the phone is someone that Jesus died for someone that Jesus loves. And how do you know that God did not extend the whole time just so you would get that one individual that needed Jesus that day, and you're the representative of Jesus for that person that day? I mean, it it changes me. It changes me, and it changes how I I view them. These are real people that have real struggles, especially nowadays, right? Can you imagine how rare it is for someone like that to hear a kind word like that? Like, I mean, in fact, she was stunned on this one occasion. Here here I'm calling, you know, right? Oh, come on, you do that too. And instead, I'm, I'm genuinely, and they can tell, I'm genuinely asking them and thanking them, you know, how's your day going for you so far? Man, I cannot even imagine what you go through on a day-to-day basis, the kind of mean people that, I'm not one of them. I actually said that when, I didn't say I used to be, click, well, <laughs> no, but I know because I used to be that person. Uh, I can't imagine how many mean people. I just want you to know I'm not one of them. Uh, I'm not going to uh, be unkind. And they're, oh, they want to come through the phone. What can I do to help you? Oh, so now we're talking. Oh, that's not why we do it. But you might say that now all of a sudden I've got her attention for Jesus. Because after all, aren't we the salt that develops a thirst? a taste, flavor? Aren't we the light that John's referring to, that brings light, exposes the darkness? What kind of, what kind of lives are these people living? I mean, if the last three years are any indication in today's update, we're talking about how many people are living in RVs and their cars that are homeless now because they can't afford to stay in their homes. people here in Hawaii working three, four jobs just to try to make ends meet. It's so hard. I think it was Oswald Chambers that said, and I'll try to get it right here, that if we only knew what other people were going through, we would be kinder to them. 
True story, and I've shared this before. It's, I think, as good of a time as any to share it again. Hope you don't mind. So pastor goes into a diner for breakfast. The server is uh, clearly late getting to the table. And when she finally does, she just throws the menu down at him and walks off. Nothing. Not, how are you today? And I'll be your server today. And no, just throws the menu in front of his face and walks away. Comes back a little while later and, you ready to order? Yeah. I better be. Uh, don't, don't spit in my food. Um, he orders his breakfast. She yanks the menu out of his hand, walks off. Comes back a little while later, throws the plate down in front of him. Nothing. He eats. Leaves her, this is a long time ago at the time, a $20 tip. It's more than the meal. I think it'd probably be the equivalent of 50 plus dollars today with inflation, probably more like $100,000 today with inflation. But So he leaves her, leaves her this sizable tip. Um, and then leaves, he's walking out to the parking lot. She follows him out. Sir, you dropped this $20 bill. He said, no, 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 no. That was for you. I could tell you were having a really, really hard day. And I just wanted to encourage you, let you know that Jesus loves you. With tears streaming down her face, she begins to share with him this, I mean, unthinkable situation that she's in. Would to God that we would be kinder to people, that we would love as Jesus loved. Jesus loved people, by the way. And, and He was kind to people, so much so that it, it explains why it is that children were attracted to Him. There had to be something about the Savior that was so attractive and so kind and so inviting that children would want to come to Him. And there's that one account where the disciples have to be rebuked because they're like, hey kids, get, get out of here. Don't you know who this is? Go play on the H1. That's a local uh, illustration. I had to insert the levity because smudging my mascara up here. And Jesus gently, kindly says to me, guys, don't, don't do that. Don't keep the children from coming to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven made up of, of these. I, I mean, that's a takeaway in and of itself. But for me, what's even more profound is that the children were so attracted to Jesus. They, they were, they're running to Jesus. See, children don't do that with me. They don't run to me. They run from me. They run as fast as they can away from me. I just have that face. But Jesus must have had something about him that just was so made him so approachable, not intimidating. He, he didn't even, his countenance, he didn't look mean. He, he probably looked so loving, just such a meekness about him, such a kindness and gentleness about him. And so this is what John's saying. We want to be like Jesus, right? We're in Him, we're like Him, we're being 
made into his likeness, Christ's likeness. Well, what was he like? He was loving and he was kind to people. Question, and we'll move on to the last one. Actually, I'm going to frame it in Luke 9, beginning in verse 51. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face, meaning that sent them ahead to make preparations. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him, speaking of Jesus, but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Now I want you to pay particular attention to verse 54. This is Luke writing inspired by the Holy Spirit, but listen to what he says about two guys. One of them is John, the Apostle John, in his younger days as one of the disciples. And the other guy is James, one of the other disciples. So when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they're watching this. Did you just reject Jesus, my Savior, the Savior of the world? Wait, wait, wait. Did you guys just reject Him and not receive Him? So they're watching this. They see this. And they said, this is what the, the question they ask of the Lord, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them like Elijah did? Translated, Lord, do you want us to torch them? <laughs> Wait a minute, is this the same John or is this an imposter? No, it's the same guy. Why do I point that out? Because this is the same guy that has just got done telling us in the text before us to live as Jesus lived. And now here we have an example of this is what Jesus would do and how Jesus lived. Listen to what Jesus said. He turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. That ain't me. That ain't me. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. John 3.16, we know it backwards and forwards in 18 different languages and five different dialects, right? Jesus did not come, John, John chapter 3 says, to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. He came to save to seek and save that which was lost, fulfilling the prophecy in Isaiah, set captives free. I want you to not miss this interaction, because I think it really explains everything. John, James, come here. <laughs> uh, you guys, uh, first of all, that's not the right spirit. Uh, you don't know what spirit or manner of spirit you're of. I didn't come here to destroy man, condemn man. I came here to save them because I love them. So fast forward to the date that he was inspired to write 
the epistles. And you got a different guy now. Everything's changed with this guy. They, they, they were affectionately referred to, James and John were, the sons of thunder. Uh, I'm sorry, I like that a little bit too much, but got a ring to it. The sons. And the, he goes from one of the sons of thunder to the apostle of love. Whoa! Why? Because that's how Jesus lived. That's how Jesus loved. We need to love as Jesus loved, with the love that Jesus loved us with. We need to live as Jesus lived. Here's the question I wanted to frame. And I want you to think about it, and we'll go to the last one. But just take a moment, allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart on this myself included. I'll do the same. Who in my life currently is someone with whom I have a relationship that would completely change if I were kinder and more loving? Yeah, but I think I've already blown it. No, 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 not necessarily. Yeah, but I kind of ruined my testimony. Oh, you might be surprised to know that if you were to humble yourself and go to them, this would be, they would, they, sometimes they don't know what to do with it. You just, you humble yourself. How rare is this, this day, in, the, in these days? You go to that person, Christian or not, probably not. You go to them, you say, you know what, friend, um, I need to ask you for your forgiveness. I just have not been able to stop thinking about how unkind I was to you, how harsh I was with you, how mean I was to you. And Jesus loves you. And I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> no, don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> I, I just, I need you to forgive me. That was not pleasing to my Jesus. And the conviction, not condemnation, the conviction of the Holy Spirit has been very strong in my life. And I need to set this right. And, and would you please forgive me? I was wrong. Those are the three hardest words to say, right, in the English language. I, well, I'm going to date myself. Remember the happy, happy days, the fonts? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You can never say it. I'm, I'm sorry. No, you can never say it. I was wrong. If you need to practice in the mirror, you can do it. You can do it. I was wrong. That wasn't right. Please forgive me. Humble yourself and watch what God's going to do. Watch what God's going to do. He'll honor that. He'll, in fact, I'll take it a step further and suggest, and I've experienced this in my own life over the years, not only have you not blown it, you've actually done something that will become the catalyst for them coming to the Lord, which they would not have otherwise done had you not humbled yourself before them. Humility is powerful. 
And by the way, you want, want to talk about living like Jesus lived? Do you, do you realize how humble Jesus is and was? Do you ever think about God that way? The attributes of God? I mean, we know He's omniscient, on, omnipresent, omnipotent, but He's humble. God is humble. That's why He knows the proud from afar off. He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, because He's humble. God all-powerful, but He's humble. He Himself is humble. That's living as Jesus lived. That's loving as Jesus loved. Here's the last one. And this one's going to get uh, interesting. <laughs> Verses 9 through 11. Now th- we're going to kind of turn this corner from our relationship with people in general to our relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And I really don't know if it's possible to overstate the importance of what John writes here. He says it no less than two times. Did you catch that? Um, if you were to ask, when you, that's pretty strong, right? If you hate your brother, you're a liar. And you say you know God and you hate your brother, you're a liar. James takes it to a whole new level. I'm not, I'm not going to do James today. It's Mother's Day. I'm not going to do James today. But if you were to ask me where I thought loving kindness would have the greatest impact, it would have to be in our relationship with other Christians. Um, let me see if I can uh, uh, draw a comparison that I think you'll understand. Isn't it true that we are harsher and meaner to our own family than we are to strangers? Thank you for, (laughs) I was thinking it was just me again. Um, (laughs) I'm on the phone, true story, I might as well, why not? I'm I'm talking to a brother, you know, we're we're yucking it up. (laughs) In walks my daughter. What do you need? My brother on the other end of the phone is going, why are you being so mean to your daughter? He's going, oh, just... So now, whenever I'm on the phone with this guy, and she comes in, hi, Sabia, how are you doing? But isn't it true? Uh, we, we treat strangers better than we do our loved ones. Let's be honest. And here's, here's another part to that. Um, I think Christians are the meanest people. And here's the thing, and there's a reason for it, by the way. It doesn't excuse it, but it does explain it. And it's John 13, 34 and 35. A new command I give you, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. There's the, the, the key again. The only way you're going to be able to love them is by way of the love that I've loved you with. As I've loved you, love them. So you must love one another. And then verse 35, <laughs> by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love 
one another. That's the gauge. Oh, this is not good for me. This is the way they're going to know that I'm a disciple of Jesus, is by my love for one another, not my Christian bumper stickers, not the size of my Bible, not how worn out my Bible is, not my impeccable church attendance. I'm even here for the prayer meetings. I'm a disciple. Um, ask Paul about this in the Corinthian church, if you uh, want. Oh, that, that, that's not love. <laughs> that's noise. It's a clanging symbol. No, here's the, the way that they are going to know that you're a disciple of Jesus. How do you treat other people? How do you treat the family, the body of Christ, the family of God? Again, ask the Corinthians about it. It did not, spoiler alert, it did not end well for them. It just ended for them, some of them. First uh, Corinthians 11. I didn't want to go there either on Mother's Day. It's pretty intense. It was all based upon how they treated and discerned the body of Christ. Hey, we're siblings in Christ, and there's a sibling rivalry. And again, this doesn't excuse it. It does explain it. There's a spiritual component here, a spiritual family dynamic. See, Satan knows this passage very well. He knows that people will know that we're disciples of Jesus by our love for one another. So knowing that he will get us to devour one another. So the question, and actually Paul wrote that, said, if you guys don't stop doing what you're doing to each other, you're going to destroy each other. You're backbiting, you're gossiping, you're, you're devouring one another. You better stop it or you're going to destroy each other. I could stand here, I won't. I could tell you story after story. I've been walking with the Lord for over 40 years. I've been in the pastorate for over 20 years of those 40 years, lay ministry before. And I've seen the lives of people destroyed. I've seen pastors and their wives and their children destroyed. I've seen churches destroyed because of this. What is it about us that is, I'll use this expression, hell bent, because that's where it comes from. What is it about us that is so hell bent on being so cruel to our brothers and sisters in Christ? The husband wife relationship. Dare I go there? I kind of just did. How many wives have been just shut down, taken down, brought down, crushed because of the harshness of an unkind husband? You know, the Proverbs, there's a description, seven things that the earth just cannot stand up under that are too high for the writer's understanding. Do you know that one of them is a wife who is unloved? 
See, that's how God wired the wife, is to be loved. And you get a husband that is mean to his wife. He does so to his own peril. Doubtless you've heard that expression, and it's very true. <laughs> happy wife, happy life, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> uh, it's very true. You love your wife as Christ loved the church. You love your wife as you love your own body. You love your wife as you love yourself. And she'll flourish. Well, aren't we the bride of Christ? Now think about that. Do you know why in 1 Corinthians it, it rose to the level of God actually prematurely taking some of those Christians home early in death? It, it rose, to, it was so serious in God's eyes, it rose to the level of God having to take them home. Why? Because they posed a formidable threat to His children and to His bride. They were causing damage and harm and injury. And God just says, I, I can't let them, that's my bride. That's my soon-to-be wife. These, this is my family. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at how they treat each other. Of the early church it was said by the world, my, how those Christians love one another. Oh, would to God that that would be said of us today. Sadly, I think in our day it's not my, how those Christians love one another, it's my how mean those Christians are to one another. I'm sorry to end on this note, but maybe it needs to be ended on this note. Maybe it should give us pause and give us a check in our spirits where we would again give the Holy Spirit unfettered access to our hearts, to search our hearts in this regard, and ask ourselves and answer the question, what would change in my life if I was more loving and kinder? What would change in my marriage? What would change in my family with my children? What would change in my workplace, in my business? What would change in my relationship, my relationships? <laughs> Answer everything. Everything would change. And it will be the likes of which you could have never imagined. And I'll tell you, just forewarn you, your only regret will be that you didn't do it sooner. Your only regret will be that you didn't do it sooner. Be kind, be kind, be kind. Capono, come on up. You can stand up. We'll close in prayer. Father, thank you. Oh, man. And I wanted to do this as a topical teaching. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for saving my bacon on this one. And having it be in the text, it was a, a much needed help on a tough topic. But Lord, how important is this for us today? Jesus, we want to live as you lived, love as you loved. We want to be kind as you were kind. But there's no way we can do it unless the Holy Spirit enables us to do it. If we try in our own strength and the energy of our own flesh, we will fail miserably. So Lord, I just pray that as we go our separate ways today on this Mother's Day,
that the Holy Spirit would just do that work, (laughs) that much-needed work in our hearts to soften our hearts, break up that fallow ground in our hearts, that hardness, that harshness, make us kinder. Make us more like you, Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, be the center of my life. Jesus, be the center of my life. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus be the center of my life, Jesus be the center of my life, from beginning to the